0: In this episode of the Deming Institute podcast, Jim Benson, founding partner of Modus Cooperandi, discusses his view of the Deming philosophy and its application in driving out fear. Hi, I'm Tripp Babbitt. Our guest today is Jim Benson, founding partner of Modus Cooperandi, author and speaker. Welcome, Jim Benson. Thank you, Tripp. Just to begin, can you share with us a little bit about what you do?
1: What we do at Modus Cooperandi is we apply Lean and Deming thinking to knowledge work. Uh, so we've taken a lot of ideas out of the manufacturing space, we've um, incorporated them with uh, the latest thinking in, uh, in brain science and neuropsychology. And we've created a set of systems and uh, tools that allow people to much more predictably, much more easily uh, manage work that has a lot of inherent variation.
0: So how did you first come across the Deming philosophy?
1: In, in software especially, uh, the... There are some very, very popular ways of working that people feel are emancipating them from the, uh, the slavery of poor management. And what they're actually doing is locking them into different forms of poor management. So the way that I came, became first acquainted with Deming is, is the way I would hope almost everybody would, which is through the system of profound knowledge where I was actively looking for a set of guiding principles around what would create an actual human-oriented, uh, kind of self-aware way of managing work. And uh, so the four points of, of Sopk do exactly that, and they do it in a very elegant and concise and um, friendly way. And so after that, it was like, oh, how many books can I buy? <laughs> what <laughs> videos can I watch? And uh, so that it was that was just that was that was totally the the gateway drug uh, for me. I was introduced to it accidentally on an airplane by a gentleman <laughs> who said, "Have you ever heard of this?" Because <laughs> I was writing some stuff down, and he looks over and sees what I'm writing, and he says, "You know, you're this is some kind found knowledge." And I said, "No," and of course, there were no. Things on there's no there's no internet on the airplane at the time, so I had to wait until I got off and actually go do some some like real research. But um, uh, it was actually a happenstance meeting of, uh, of of some blessed soul whose name I have no idea um, that 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 first pointed me in that direction. So oh, okay, so you so, point so beautifully, what, accidentally.
0: <laughs> okay, so was did, did you then read the New Economics? Is that is that kind of where you started? Okay. All right. And so when when you're reading uh, the New Economics, or, or you're starting to delve into this uh, philosophy, uh, what stood out to you? What were kind of your aha moments about? Oh, okay. Well, that, or was it just more uh, affirmation of kind of, well, this just makes sense.
1: Well, uh, a little of both. Okay. So, um, and if we go back to my my psychology background. Uh, where I was, um, you know, at the time, uh, a student of Maslow, a student of uh, R.D. Lang. Uh, the underpinnings of their uh, philosophy or their way of looking at how people operate is that people are fundamentally good, and if you give them the right conditions, they will actualize into great people. And here, Deming, through an entire, entire book, was you know maybe sometimes giving some tools, maybe sometimes giving uh, some uh, some more philosophical guidance, but saying if we set up systems that don't make people fail, they will tend not to fail. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and um, that uh, that affirmation was important to me. But also the fact that that the book represented a a lifetime of work of proving that that was the case. Now it's funny because because people point back at, at my books and say, "Look, Jim Benson says these things," but I'm sitting at my books pointing back and saying, "Look, Jim Jen- <laughs> <laughs>
0: said these things." Okay, <laughs> okay. Um,
1: but you know, you always need uh, you need external sources and. Um, uh the beauty of of that book is that um at least i think <laughs> that it's 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 a comfortable introduction for just about anybody into uh not just systems thinking but the psychology behind systems thinking
0: yeah so so let me let me ask you about that so you were posed the question on you know if somebody were were to Uh, start into lean, that you would point them to a system of profound knowledge. Uh, Why would you point them in that direction?
1: Lean is a wonderful thing, Uh, but um, uh, so is a Manhattan. And if you drink too many Manhattans, you won't feel so wonderful. (laughs) Uh, So you, you kind of need to understand why you're doing lean before you start to do it. And people like to build houses and things and show all of these different complicated reasons why you should do lean. Um, But for me, it's if you understand that that you are personally responsible for systems that you touch, Mm. whether you build them or you're a participant and that, uh, that we have a, uh, we have a psychological tendency to to get angry about and blame other people for variation. So understanding that variation is a natural byproduct of any system that people create. And they, if we understand those two things, we can start to learn from that. And then if we are able to incorporate learning and starts to actually either control or understand the variation that has a very profound, positive psychological impact on the people who are in those systems. And if you get that, you can do amazing things with lean tools. Mm -hmm. If you don't get that, you will take lean and you will turn it into six Sigma. And so that's, so I always point people back that I want them to have the benefit of the Deming moral compass, when they're engaging in any lean
0: activity, guess from your comment, you think Six Sigma lacks that? I do. Okay,
1: okay. Uh, which isn't to say that I think that Six Sigma practitioners are all <laughs> are all evil. It's just to say that as, as a practice, um, Six Sigma is very much based on the tools and not not the
0: people. Interesting. I, I've heard. I've heard. Uh... Uh, the the same thing said about lean folks too. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And I, and and I, you, my belief is is that there's probably people in each camp that have a broader perspective, and then there are those that are left with the tools. Right. So so in your practice today, how are you applying the Deming philosophy uh, in, in the things that you teach? For me, the Deming
1: philosophy uh, lays in like. Three major areas. Uh, one is uh, respect for people. Uh, the second is SOPK, and then the third is what I call the one point, <laughs> but is but is listed as the fourteen points. Okay. <laughs> and so, if you if you add up all the fourteen points and draw a, a sum, summation line underneath it, the the result of all of those is that command and control is an anti-human activity. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and the reason I believe that Deming was constantly tinkering with the 14 points was because he was trying to make it clear to himself and to others that the actual individual points in the 14 points don't matter nearly as much as really understanding that. So, uh, so understanding that, that people inherently need respect, uh, understanding that command and control systems generally don't provide that respect, and then the things that I just said about SRPK – we take those uh, ideas and we do two things simultaneously. One is we'll start to help people build new light systems so that they can actually see their work for the first time. Because remember, this is knowledge work; that's happening in people's heads, so they can't uh, they can't actually see and touch their work until it's complete. Okay. Which means their coworkers can't see it either. And that means that if you're working on something, I can't see it. I can't help you. I don't know when you're doing well. I don't know anything uh, about what you're doing. So we we make those things visual, Mm -hmm. and then we start to gauge what happens within both the team, uh, the team, the group, and the organization based on that greater level of communication, collaboration, and transparency. Uh, So we start to build social systems put those social systems in place, and then start to engage in just, um, if not continuous improvement, at least logical improvements, where people will notice um, uh, breakdowns in the flow of their work. They'll notice things that they, they personally don't like doing and therefore aren't very good at. Uh, they will notice uh, interruptions that are valuable, interruptions that are not valuable, and then we start to um, either... Know, disengage them from the work that they either don't like, aren't good at, or aren't aren't providing them or their customers with with value. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as you start to do that, you're giving we're giving them all of the control about what change is happening when, which means that they start to take you know they they not only get agency from from their bosses, but they actually assume that agency. They respect it. They feel more respected, and that builds a happier working environments.
0: Okay, and and so you know, as, as you're talking about this, I mean, I, you know, whenever I hear communication and collaboration and respect for people and things of that sort, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think of driving out fear within the organization. How do, how do how does exactly. how does that happen then in in, in this methodology?
1: So this is this is one of the things that I really love about Deming, right? So Deming's, like point four is understand psychology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so like so drive out fear is like such a huge, huge meal to sit down and try and even conceive of of creating because. Uh, you have uh, you have fear that is brought into the organization by certain individuals who wish to uh, hoard power or otherwise be bad actors. You have fear in the organization in the form of liability from various regulations or things that you might not have direct control over. Uh, you have fear that if you don't completely understand your work, that you will be judged negatively for things that, again, are beyond your control uh, or that you didn't properly interpret. Um, there, and so there's a, there's a lot of different types of fear that are in an organization. I could, I could probably take it for a half hour and just list, list different different avenues of fear. When you start to boil them down, the thing that people really fear is the unknown. <laughs> so... Um, If if I'm working at my desk and you're working at your desk and I can't see what you're doing, my mind starts to think things like, I wonder what Tripp's doing. You know, I'll bet Tripp's, oh, I hear him laughing. Tripp screws around. (laughs) Tripp's probably not doing anything. Tripp's a flacker. I I hate (laughs) Tripp. And so you start to go down this, like, really slippery slope of distrust and the other person actually hasn't done anything to engender that trust I just can't see the work that you're doing, and therefore I can't see that you're completing things. And in the working environment, there are like two major elements of trust, but the biggest one is, do I know that you are actually doing something? <laughs> right. And just getting that proved to other people actually provides such a foundation of camaraderie and trust, or what we, you know, what we call rapport, and we mix, mix those two things together uh that once that exists, other types of trust become group activities and not individual activities. So if you have a team and that team is really, really tight and you have a vice president that's over that team who's a tyrant, mm-hmm. that team can operate in spite of that, that uh, impediment quite well. Uh, or if you have regulations, they can get, you can get together with the people that you trust and say, "How are we going to deal with those regulations?" But if you but once you establish that kernel of of true teamwork and understanding within a small group, that that takes away what what we've found to be the largest chunk of debilitating distrust in an organization, or fear, I should say, in an organization.
0: This leads me to the hot potatoes of the Deming philosophy. So if, if you look at things like, uh, well, let's talk about the two big ones. The two big ones, obviously, mm-hmm. are Deming's uh, view on rewards and and things like performance appraisals. Yeah. So how does that fit in to, to the things that you just said? Seems like there's a focus more on this individual, that the person is actually doing something, but what about the system that's in place? How, how is that being
1: That's That's an awesome question. So there's, um, those, those have been repeatedly two of, like you said, they're the hot potatoes. They're the, they're the areas where people screw up with the best of intentions. The individual and the system are, for me, uh, rather symbiotic. Uh, The the process is the people, and the people are the process. And uh, I've worked with several companies uh, who have, obviously, because everybody struggles with this, but they've they've struggled with this, but two companies that really stand out for me. um, One is called Riot Games, and they're in Southern California. And they don't do a traditional performance appraisal process, and they don't do stack ranking or anything like that. But what they've replaced it with, because they did need to replace it with something in order to have growth and learning and for everybody to know what was going on, what they do is uh, once a week, if you're on a team, which everybody is, you would get together with one of your peers, one of your teammates. You go out, you have coffee, and you have a one-on-one and at this one on one you discuss how things are going how things have been over the last week and so forth but then they also do uh, they get they do a, a give and and what they call an ask so they say you know this is what i would like to give to you to help you do your work better and this is what i would like to ask from you so that you can help me do do my work better so they get in, they do some continuous improvement. They give each other some feedback, and uh, these guys are really brutally honest. They're very, they're very good at that feedback. And then every so often, uh, they also meet either with their bosses or their their bosses' bosses for these one-on-ones. And they will be at that point extremely informed about what's going on in their team and in the rest of the company because they've had these constant conversations. One of the big problems with performance reviews as they're traditionally done is that it takes so long to get to them that both the individual and the authority figure have uh, forgotten or perhaps never known what's what's actually happening. Um, Now, the, the... gorilla in the room, the elephant in the room here is that companies when you decouple um, the performance process from the performance review process from the rest of the um, system, they don't know how to compensate people. Uh, Not that it ever worked well to begin with, but they they don't know how to compensate people and so they, they will sit on the other side of the desk and they will stare blankly at you because they're like, how do I pay people? And so the another company that we've worked with called Jimdo has been experimenting on things like allowing teams to set their own compensation rates either by giving compensation a compensation amount to a team and then letting them parcel it out um between themselves or by just having them set their own salaries uh they're they're in uh in Germany and they've been running those experiments for the last six months it's Hard to tell exactly how that's going, but what it has done is it's made everybody there much more aware of what goes into thinking about compensation, and um, so those are the those are the two things that, that really stand out for me uh, are, are those
0: those two stories. So, so you haven't necessarily, and I don't know that anybody really has in the Deming community, uh, solved the the compensation problem.
1: <laughs> um. Well, no. And uh so like when I owned my software company I solved the compensation problem by having everybody in the company earn the same amount. <laughs> that, Collect- that was my collectivism personal, my personal punt.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Very good. new harmony projects in Indiana. Very good. <laughs> All right. How'd that go? Uh
1: well that went really well. Uh the um the so the the Jimdo stuff. I would actually recommend that you interview uh, Arna Rook, who's who's in charge of that that um, that. I don't even know what you call it. That maneuver at Jimdo, um, and but yeah, it's, it's the thing is that there's there's two parts to um, to a performance review. Theoretically, uh, one is: Are you as an employee improving? Uh, do you have the skills necessary, and are you building new skills? And then the second is, how, how do we compensate you? As we all know, they turn into kind of you know Jack Welch-style witch hunts where you're looking for the, the bottom X percent people so that you can kick them out the door. Um, and we would not like to see that, but what we would like to see are informed organizations that know how to treat people fairly, train people fairly, and compensate them fairly. And that's uh, you know as, as you rightly mentioned that's that's kind of a hairball.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got <laughs> it. it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So so if we consider that a lot of companies are. Will wind up play, paying some type, something close to market, or you know whether it may be a, a little above if if the employees are setting their own salaries, those types of things. Mm-hmm. How, how much of the, you know, as far as the the individual goes, did you didn't really talk necessarily about what the, uh, you know, bonuses and things of that sort. You got a little bit into the. Uh, what what happens to an individual that doesn't fit the mm-hmm. system? Which always raises the question, at least for for, for my perspective, and, and Deming would be okay. So, how did we did we hire the wrong people, or did the system that they work in kill them? Right. So that was yeah, one exactly. of the things that 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 uh, uh, Deming said, and, and I can't remember who originally said it. But so so can can you address that a little bit as far as the yeah. okay
1: yeah so the the appropriate the appropriate damning quote here is that a bad person will beat a, or a bad system will beat a good person every time mm-hmm. and uh so always when when there is uh an issue uh when there is either just fear or distrust or um angst we always look for a systemic cause to that initially. Um, and one of the problems with that is that because of the manufacturing background of a lot of these ideas, when people look at the systems, they tend to look at what's being done as opposed to who's doing it and what personalities are involved and, uh, uh, what types of people are doing this work. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, look, the, one of the things uh, that I talk about a lot is that uh, people and process are actually the same thing. Our culture is our process, and our process is our culture. Uh, and if, we, if, you don't, if people don't believe that, set up a really great process, then fire half your people. And then bring 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 in the, all of new people, you'll find that your process changes because the culture because their psychology, their individual
0: nature's change. did that answer your question uh, I, yeah, it brings up more questions, but uh, <laughs> uh obviously as you as you get into it so so the philosophy of, of firing half your people will certainly change the system, but if the system's uh in place. Uh, like concrete, and the new people will probably perform on the same distribution as the people before them, other than the fact they just spent a bunch of money to train new people.
1: Yeah, or or worse, actually. So, I mean, the thing is, that uh, what I've seen is that companies have had fantastic processes and fantastic cultures, and then for one reason or another, they've lost some key people, and they bring in replacements, and then the process doesn't work right anymore mm. and the reason is that they think that the process and the people that are there are actually separate yeah. so when they bring in the new people there has to be a readjustment phase which is how do we work together uh, you know how how quickly do you do these tasks versus those tasks are you friendly on these days or those days you know when do your kids need to be picked up from daycare <laughs> mm. you know all, all of these these human factors have a massive operation have a massive uh, impact on knowledge work because knowledge work is more lenient uh, for when people can and can't do things. So if you're on the if you're on the plant floor and you're you know you're, you mentioned GE so you know you're at the plant floor and you're putting doors on on a fridge, uh, you can't just get a phone call in the middle of putting doors on a fridge and have a long conversation with your wife about the water heater. Mm-hmm. But if you're a knowledge worker, you totally can do that <laughs> okay All right. and and that means that uh that the nature of how we work together changes pretty dramatically based on the personalities of the people involved um they are part of the variation of knowledge work,
0: okay. All right. I, well, this will be certainly something I, I can see uh, some of the Deming groups that, that get together and listen to the podcast uh, and I get feedback mm-hmm. from on occasion. Uh, the, the, the I can see this will uh, certainly generate uh, much discussion amongst those groups. <laughs> so <laughs> very good. So uh, Jim, is there any question that uh, I failed to ask or is there any clarification of anything that we've talked about today that, that you'd like to spend a little time on?
1: you know, everybody kind of has their core principles or their core tool or rules. And um, while our personal Kanban idea isn't necessarily the core tool, the two guiding principles for that, which are, you know, visualize your work because you can better manage what you can see and limit your work in process because we can't do more work than we can handle. Those tends to be, if you can enter into any knowledge work situation, and get people to visualize what they're doing and then consciously limit their work and process because they're all overworked because they can't see what they're doing. If you can't see what you're doing, you're going to take on more work all the time. If you can get them to do those two things, they will calm down, they will focus more, and they will start to improve not only their situation but the corporate situation you know, at the same time it's kind of scary how, you know, those are the, you know, that's the the, the two seeds or the seed and the fertilizer or the two catalysts mm-hmm. uh, for everything that we do. And uh, beyond that, you know, the way you visualize the work can be incredibly individualistic. Uh, the methodologies that you employ or the ideas that you employ to limit your working process, those can also be uh, quite varied. Uh, but simply being able to focus on your work and see it, And being able to collaborate because I can see your work and you can see mine is uh, ridiculously important.
0: Yeah, and that's highlighted very well in your your, uh, website uh, as far as uh, the visualization of the work that you have and limiting the work in process. So very Mm -hmm. good. Well, we thank you for sharing your time today, Jim, and uh, appreciate you being part of the Deming Institute podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: This is Trip Abbott letting you know about two upcoming conferences. On September 18th through the 20th, 2015, in Ames, Iowa, the Deming Institute will hold its annual conference at Iowa State University. Also, on November 6th through the 8th, 2015, the Deming Institute will hold a Deming and Education Conference in Seattle, Washington. For more details, go to the Deming.org website. I hope to see you there.